0: Looking live. I don't believe what
1: I just saw. This is possible! Unbelievable. I believe in miracles. Yes.
0: Live from a Google Hangout meet. It's the 252. This is Chris Garrett. And Chris Moore.
2: And Sam Mulberry.
0: (laughs) That's right. Sports Talk Radio is done by academics. Uh, It'll take us a while to figure this out doing this virtually where we're not next to each other, right? I can no longer kick you underneath the table. (laughs) I'm I'm okay with that. (laughs) So we're actually in the middle of our extended spring break at Bethel University. Like a lot of colleges and universities, we took some extra time off in order to retool because we are moving everything online, including the history and politics of sports, the gen ed course that inspires and accompanies this podcast. So we thought we'd do a short episode, really not just for our regular listeners, but also hopefully we've got dozens of students starting to join the podcast at this point because this podcast will now become part of the online version of the class. So we're going to talk through that in our second segment, uh, partly for the sake of our students, maybe partly for our own sake to hear ourselves say it again, what online history, political science, 252L, will look like but uh gents I think we probably should just say a little bit about COVID-19 if memory serves the last time we had talked it was maybe the Tuesday or the Wednesday morning before the NBA shut down it was March
2: which, 11th it was the very day that it all because I think we were
0: talking about like conference basketball tournaments and then maybe like Syria A uh, in Italy was playing without fans but we weren't quite there yet and, and now we've had a couple of weeks with no real sports um how are we feeling about this
2: it's bizarre. It's it's, uh, it's
1: real bad, man. It's real bad.
2: Yeah. What's funny is I I don't um in the normal course of a semester, I don't spend a lot of time watching sports, but I'm realizing how much I'm missing it in the background.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't even, we're a, we, we just have antenna. So we, we don't get a lot of live sports on our TV, but we watch a lot of clips. It's like Isaiah and I kind of at night in the morning, it's, it's kind of part of our father-son routine. And so we've instead been digging into like MLB Vault on YouTube and watching game seven of the 91 series. Um, yeah, it's so
1: lives is governed by the periodicity of sports. Like even if you're not a big fan of horse racing and Sam, I know you are, but I mean, I still mark the passage of the Kentucky Derby.
2: Yeah, that and, and the Masters, I think, think
1: means spring. day of baseball and the Masters. And, yeah. um, you know, you can even sort of think about your life as a series of epochs punctuated by Olympiads. And um, that's not going to happen this year. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, it actually, in, in a sense, like sports gives us our secular version of a liturgical calendar, right? It gives mm-hmm. us these kind of high holy days and feast days that help us mark time. And that's the thing we've talked about a lot in the class, right, is that sports is used by religions, but sports is itself a kind of religion. And so one article I shared with students this afternoon comes from a former guest of this podcast, Paul Putz, who's now at Baylor University again is a really good historian of sports and religion and wrote a piece for religion news service on this idea of sports as religion. And in the absence of sports, what is the, I guess, religious effects of that? So I, we'll, we'll link that on the show page of my blog. And uh, it's already at the course Moodle page. But um, I think it's really interesting. You suggest uh, it, it still works. Even without sports, we, we we lament and we hope for the return. And one thing that I think we're all doing is a lot of us are digging into the history of sports. This becomes a, you know, whether it's watching ESPN Classic or going to that MLB vault site, it's, it inspires us to look to the past of sports and, you know, as a substitute or a distraction at least. Um, I think maybe the major sports story here is the postponement of the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. This is unprecedented, right? We've had three cancellations for the two world wars, 1640 and 44. But this is the first time the Olympics has ever been postponed. So the 2020 Olympics will take place in Tokyo in 2021. I think no later than July, they said. Uh, This seems like the right move. I I guess I haven't heard any backlash against it. Anything you guys hearing? No,
2: no, I mean, other than my son is upset, but no, I haven't heard backlash uh, beyond that. It is interesting to think about, I mean, if we can move away from from COVID-19 and think about what it means to move the Olympics back a year that, you know, Mm -hmm. people's, for one group of people, their window needs to expand an extra year. For others, it compresses, right? So it'd be interesting to think like somebody who wouldn't make the team this year, but one more year of aging, you know, there's Mm -hmm. people who will age out, but there's also people who will age in.
1: Mm-hmm. that's what I was wondering about the most is for what kinds of sports have the teams already been mostly assembled like have the champ the world championships or the national championships or whatever it takes like how many teams sports will have to essentially nullify this team and recreate mm-hmm. a new team for next year
0: yeah I mean a lot of the qualifying was disrupted by what's happening right now but uh... Some event like the US marathon team, right, had been um, established. And of course, actual team sports were being formed. Um, what is the economic impact of this? I guess haven't read any analysis yet. I, I have some sense of the billions of dollars lost if the Olympics is just canceled, but what does it mean to postpone it for a year? Well, the,
1: the, the short answer is it's not zero, right? right. Because uh, there are plenty of kinds of short-term investments that, that uh, people make in terms of uh, build-up to anticipate housing needs, build-up to anticipate um, uh, dining needs, and you can't just defer those things for a year. So there will be a significant amount of, of, of money lost, and I'm not sure that deferring by a year increases demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Tokyo is a very enviable place to go to hold it, to ha- to be part of an Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I think it stands to be one of the few places in the world that can turn a profit on the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I think that this could be, it, it depends what the course of this disease takes, but if we continue to have sort of aftershocks of COVID flare-ups for the next year, which some um, epidemiologists are suggesting is possible, this could be a very poorly attended Olympics, even if it's held safely next July.
0: Sure, no, that's possible. I think it's also significant just in outside of sports, the larger response to COVID. It's it's the first longer term kind of acknowledgement that this is not going to be done in two weeks or four weeks even. Right. Um I mean, a lot of this is just about what's being disrupted right now, but it it's acknowledging that we don't know what this disease is gonna look like this summer or this fall, or what uh immunity will look like or what the healthcare system will Look like after a couple months of this, so it it, it should at least really stretch our horizons of the uh, effects of the pandemic on our on our lives, or at least our viewing habits. Um, speaking of the Olympics, students, of course, you know that we'll be turning to the Olympics as we get into April. Our third quarter in the course is about the international dimension of sports. We'll say a lot about Olympic history, and of course, your last simulation will involve the uh, process to bid for the right to host the Olympics. So it'll be interesting to think about that in light of what's happening with Tokyo. So speaking of the course, in our second segment, we're going to talk through what that's going to look like online. We're not even quite halfway through the course. There's a lot left to do. And Chris and I have thought about how to do that best online. So join us after the break and we will walk through that for you. This week in sports history. Edinburgh, Scotland, March 27, 1871. 4,000 fans watched Scotland defeat England in the very first international rugby match thanks to a try
1: and conversion by William Cross. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, March 28, 1982. Number one Rutgers holds off Texas 83 77 to win the last basketball championship in the 10 year history of the Association for Intercollegiate Athletics for Women. That same day, the NCAA crowns its first women's basketball champion as Louisiana Tech defeats Cheney State, a historically black college from Pennsylvania.
0: New York, New York, March 31st, 1995. The strike that had ended the 1994 Major League Baseball season finally concludes after a federal judge stops the owners from using replacement players for the 1995 season. Fourteen years later, that judge would become the first Hispanic justice on the U.S. Supreme Court,
1: Sonia Sotomayor. Baltimore, Maryland, March 29, 1984. After the state legislature votes to let Baltimore seize its NFL team by eminent domain, Colts owner Jim Ursay moves the franchise to Indianapolis in the middle of the night. The upstart USFL responds by moving its reigning champion stars from Philadelphia to Baltimore, where they win a second title under Jim Mora, the future coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And that was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. We threw that game. We gave it away by doing that. We gave him the friggin' game. In my opinion, that sucked. What's that? Uh, th- playoffs? Don't talk about it. playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs?
0: I just hope we can win a game. You've been listening to This Week in Sports History. All right, we're back for a segment two. I think the really meaty segment in most episodes. Uh, typically we do an interview with someone, a conversation about a topic. This week's a little different. This is really a preview episode for our students during the podcast because it's gonna become part of the online version of Bethel's History and Politics of Sports course that Chris and I co-teach. So we have thought we'd spend a moment, uh, again, partly just because we need to think through all this, but to help students understand what it's going to look like, we're just going to talk about what online uh, history and politics of sports is going to be. Uh, Maybe let's start for our listeners at home by reviewing what does the class look like face-to-face, Chris?
1: Well, normally we get together three times a week in a rather large, pretty echoey room at Bethel University. Choir room. At the choir room, um, which I'm told by our choir director is excellent acoustics for choir, but apparently it's terrible acoustics for the politics of sports. Um, and we're taking, we're meeting with about 70 students, and uh, we are sort of walking through this in a traditional face-to-face class, which means that we have 70 students who are listening to one of us either Mm -hmm. lecture or present material, or they're listening to their fellow students do presentations. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the class broken up into 10 teams of seven, uh, and they're doing some things both in terms of presentations, but also simulations, other kinds of roles like that. But all of that's coming to a screeching halt. We've had to rethink a a bunch of dynamics for the class as we move into an all-online format. And again, we weren't
0: quite halfway through. So the class is broken into four quarters, like a football or a basketball game. We were most of the way through a second quarter, which was kind of a thematic study of sports in American society. So like before spring break, we spent a week on women's history of sports, gender, a little bit on sexuality. So when we come back, we're going to pick up with uh, race and sports, and so we're going to do a week especially focused on the African American experience, as seen through the lens of sports, but uh, we don't have a choir room to go to, we're not going to have 70 people in one place, and so we've had to rethink this. So uh, the the first part of this, I'll just talk about since I did the first one, we thought we should do something like uh, a lecture, and so mm-hmm. a lot of us in the world of higher ed are learning how to do narrated PowerPoints or things similar to that. And so I spent some time last week into the weekend creating basically a four part narrated PowerPoint that uh, we spit out as four 10 to 15 minute videos that are streaming through the history department YouTube page. Um, So I have to say it was actually pretty fun to do. It's not really like a movie, but I tried to think about how to integrate images, not just put a lot of text up on the screen. And um, I actually thought it was, you know, it was really great to review kind of the arc of African-American history. Uh, in sports, in some ways, was actually a little bit more secondary, as I thought through it. But of course, we ended up talking about the Negro Leagues, Jackie Robinson, Althea Gibson, activists mm-hmm. like Muhammad Ali, Kurt Flood, and kind of brought all the way up to the Black Lives Matter movement and the Take, take a Knee protest. Um, and then from there, what will happen is we kind of imagine doing that as sort of table setting at the beginning of the week. And then from there, we want to hand it off to students to do some readings, some response, to discuss some things within their teams and, uh, so this week, uh, that's going to look like reading a couple of chapters in their textbook, uh, mm-hmm. about, uh, um, the problem of race in American sports. Uh, and then what they're going to do is answer a two part version of Chris's Monte Carlo quiz. So mm-hmm. what we usually do is, uh, we, we roll for a quiz and Chris, I always forget whether it's odd or even we have the quiz. Evens create quizzes. So if you roll a two, four, a six, there's going to be a quiz and there's a preset list of five questions. And then a six is the students get to choose the question. So whatever the reading is, the questions stay the same. So we kind of adapted that. Uh, This will be open book. Usually it's just open note. So the first question students are going to think about will be essentially do a Mount Rushmore exercise, which 252 listeners know uh, very well. Uh, students are going to have to nominate uh, four African-American athletes or non-athletes from the history of sports who they think would belong on that kind of Mount Rushmore and explain a little bit of why they picked them. And then we adapted one of the standard Monte Carlo quiz questions, we think. We might tweak this before we actually get to it next week. But essentially, give us a kind of uh, take some theme from the reading and give us a current events application uh, and write as a question for us to talk about. Right. Uh, From there, what are they going to do, Chris? Chris? They're
1: going into their teams, right? So, yeah, so they'll go into their teams, they'll take those responses that they've created for us, and then they'll actually have a conversation within their group of seven. And their goal in that group of seven will basically be to consolidate their answers, to come to some kind of a, if not consensus, at least majority opinion within mm-hmm. their group. And they'll take that, so for example, those four greatest, uh, those, Mount, those Mount Rushmore figures. Um, we'll try and come up with what the Mount Rushmore is for each of those groups, and then um, we'll actually promulgate that uh, out to the whole the whole class. So classes will be able to see what those what those figures are, and we'll see them, and then we'll be talking about it next week on. The 252. So I, I think it serves a couple of purposes. One, it's just, uh, I mean, it gets
0: them doing something like a small group discussion, which, you know, we, we occasionally have them do inside of class or outside of class. Uh, but it also makes it a little bit more manageable for us then to have some talking points for a podcast episode. So our idea is that Thursday afternoons, we would then record a podcast, then, in some ways, kind of wraps up the week, picks up some themes from the opening uh, recorded lecture, then picks up some things from the reading responses, these small group discussions. Uh, And in a sense, like let's listeners join the class then, which is kind of a cool aspect of all of this. So that'll be our episode next week is picking up uh, kind of Mount Rushmore idea. We'll make the final decision about our Mount Rushmore. Uh, But we'll also pick maybe three or four of those contemporary questions about race and sports that students have suggested and spend our first segment talking through that, just the three of us. So I think that is probably the model for most weeks is we think about how do we do kind of the usual history and politics how do we incorporate readings discussion Uh, something like that probably work most of the weeks of the semester but one other distinctive of the course is we had planned in-class simulations so Chris you want to start by explaining what is the current simulation students are working on and then we'll talk about how we're going to make that fly online
1: Sure. Well, sure. We'll give that a try. So the current simulation that students are dealing with is a public policy simulation and it's thinking about the different actors that are involved in a difficult decision about whether a city should finance a new or uh, provide public financing for a new sports stadium. And we've made it slightly more complex in that we've given them a couple of options. And so there is currently a extant NFL team that is asking for a new stadium and there's also a, a Major League Soccer team that's asking for a new city. so this would be like sort of a um, a new franchise for the city. And we have various uh, students apply to be various components within that simulation. So there's a city council, but there's also um, ownership uh, groups for both the um, for the MLS team uh, and the uh, and the. And the NFL team, as well as fans or concerned business interests on both sides, that mm-hmm. we were going to have them actually play this out in a room. So they were going to sit down in front of the city council, present their cases, and eventually the city council is going to have to vote mm-hmm. and provide uh, rationales for their votes. We're going to be moving that online. And so in some ways, what we're asking students to do doesn't change. Their roles are staying the same. The uh, actual decision-making process is going to stay the same. But wh- how they're going to present their arguments, of course, is going to be different. And So instead of verbal, oral presentations, they're going to be doing online presentations.
0: Right. So I think our idea is, uh, So, I think it would be Monday, April 6th is when this will start, students. And, and students, we'll put this on Moodle and we'll email you separately. But just to talk through it, uh, on Monday, the different franchise groups would write, uh, brochures, I guess is what we have or um, proposals, some kind of document, uh, that makes the case as best you can, uh, for why the city should invest in building a new NFL stadium and or a new MLS stadium. So that'd be on Monday. We'd then disseminate that. And then the citizens groups would be able to respond to that pro or con with op-ed pieces. They would submit as if to a newspaper or some kind of online journal on Tuesday to give us some sense of the public's response. And then the city council needs to respond on Wednesday, they will vote by writing press releases, explaining what their vote is and what, uh, what determined it. So we do need to work out some of the mechanics of this, like how it's all going to be shared. Uh, I mean, we originally were, were breaking them into actually two different simulations running in parallel. So we we'll have to figure out how to do that. But... Actually, I think this could work pretty well. It's it's going to miss some of the give and take you would get face to face. But I think the arguments should still be made and you'll get some sense of the complexity of the decisions. Uh, and we should add, students had to do a case study before spring break where they actually looked at a particular American city that's gone through this in the past five to ten years. So like uh, yesterday, I was grading some case studies for the city of Los Angeles where the Rams and Chargers are building SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. And so we talked through some of the costs and benefits of that. So it's 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 an imaginary city, but it's rooted in some real-world experiences. Um, so what I think we'll probably do then is the week after that on the 252 episode is we'll probably report back on how our simulations went in the first segment. That'll be our kind of news segment and uh, talk through uh, how we went, uh, how it went, and what we learned.
1: Yep. And, I think, and uh, sorry, Chris. That's no. good. I'm, interested in, I'm someone who uses simulations a lot in my classes, and I'm aware of the pitfalls and benefits of simulations and um, simulations that involve lots of high energy activity in the classroom where students are really role playing do benefit students who are a little bit less inhibited, who are mm-hmm. a little bit more um Willing to be uh, theatrical, I guess I should put it that way. Uh, and it's interesting to take, kind of take that component away from this and really make this a much more thoughtful, sort of design-oriented enterprise. And I'm interested to see how that changes uh, which students really shine in the process right. of doing this.
0: No, I think it's a good point. I mean, in some ways it it plays one of the objectives of the course is a writing objective. It it's part of the gen ed writing across the curriculum idea at Bethel. So it gives them another crack at how do you write well in response to complicated issues using different kinds of sources. So I I I feel pretty good about that. Uh we'll try to do this, I think, also with an Olympic simulation where you have to work out what it looks like. But uh, you know, depending on what we learn from the next couple of weeks, we'll probably do some version of that as well. Um other than that, I mean, the other kind of pieces of the class left to do are a midterm take-home essay that's going to be due after Easter and then a final essay. So we think that can work pretty well online anyway. We'll have to think through the final exam a little bit more. But they were going to have to write a midterm take-home essay anyway. So we'll be talking probably more about that uh, in an upcoming podcast episode as well to give them some some food for thought. Um, yeah, anything else you want to add, Chris? Anything we haven't touched on yet?
1: Um, only this. I think that... If students are listening to this, one of our mantras, now Bethel is a Christian institution, um, for those of you listening outside of our institution, but whether you were a Christian institution or not, one of the buzzwords that has been surrounding this large, basically national move to online education Mm -hmm. for universities is grace. Mm -hmm. And Uh, this is a large class where it's a new class for us in some ways that's advantageous because the things we're talking about we haven't even implemented yet so it's not like we had this sort of stock olympic simulation that we just knew how to run and knew what we're going to do and (laughs) now we think it we're thinking it for the first time we also know that for our students that this is a complex and uncertain time where maybe perhaps most of them have not taken a lot of online classes and we're going to be guiding them through this sort of mid semester so um, for Chris and I, as well as for our students, we're looking to both give and receive grace as we as we move through this process together.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good word. My last just kind of practical reminder or advice for students is um, to use Moodle and email, which I would expect most students use, but mm-hmm. it's also possible to do fine in this class without using Moodle a lot to this point. And I do know there are students who aren't accustomed to checking email regularly. And I think for all classes, that'll probably need to change because it's, it's our lo-fi best way, most reliable way of being in touch with each other. So exactly. please uh make that part of your habits moving forward. Okay. Well we'll see how that goes. And we'll we'll kind of update uh uh people on this as, as we go. And this is a way for us to kind of talk through it. One thing that I'm keenly aware we're gonna miss is for the first few weeks, Chris and I were teaching this class with offices no more than like twelve feet apart from each other. We could just walk next door and chat through how oh, the class is going. Saying. Now now this will be interesting at at a distance, at least for a while. We're we're not going to be leaving our houses, let alone going to campus. So we'll have to figure that out too. Exactly. All right. Well, we'll be right back after one more break to wrap it up and suggest maybe some viewing material for you if you're a sports fan missing live competition.
2: Get in touch with the show by emailing us at channel3900 at gmail.com.
0: Hey, before we call it a wrap for this episode of the 252 we uh, usually end with a segment we call a 3 to See. and uh, if you've listened to the show for a while you know that we look ahead in the sports calendar and suggest things that you can watch hopefully on TV from around the world of sports uh, there's an obvious problem with that segment at this point <laughs> As far as i know there 's nothing left to watch uh, really I've, i one of our deans shared some YouTube clips from an English rugby announcer who 's taken to commentating on just day to day life around England, which is pretty hilarious Joe
1: um, doing this too by the way
0: yeah yeah uh, so instead though, we thought we we like the three to see idea in fact, i think it 's probably one of our favorite segments, but let 's take it in a different direction so instead of recommending upcoming sporting events of which there are none. Uh, we, for the foreseeable future, are going to recommend other kinds of sort of sports-related content. So movies, TV series, websites, YouTube clips, uh, articles, whatever it might be that we think you should put your eyes on if you are interested in sports and missing uh, the kind of typical play-by-play action that you would be watching this time of year. So with that in mind, Chris, start uh, a revamped version of 3 to See.
1: All right. What do you do when there aren't sports to watch? You gather around the glowing hearth. Or in this case, the glowing monitor. And argue about sports. Few sports conversations will spark a barbershop argument like debating what the greatest sports record is. I kind of want to ask you guys right now, but we'll, we'll save them. <laughs> Happily, scholars have also waded into these treacherous waters. Check out the article revisiting the rankings of outstanding professional sports records from a 2016 issue of the Journal of Sports Analytics. Using a combination of probability statistics and a novel way to systematize expert opinion, the authors re-rank 65 classic individual sporting accomplishments across, uh, I think, 70 or so different sports. Hmm. Personally, I love number three on their re-ranked list, and I'm deeply conflicted about number one. How's that for a tease? Wow, that's a pro. Nice job. Sam?
2: Uh, in most years, this season would be prime time for basketball writers with March Madness in full swing and the NBA on its stretch run as they approach the playoffs. But COVID 19 has shut all of this down. So, what are they to do now? Well, the folks over at the, at the ringer.com, home of a slew of great basketball writers, have focused their analat- their analytical basketball minds on one of the most significant games of hoops of the 21st century. That's right. They have a full breakdown of the game between the sales team and the warehouse in Season 1, Episode 5 of The Office. Uh, in the great Venn diagram of life, the space where the intersection of the office and basketball exists is pretty special to me. And if you are at all like-minded – uh, you should do yourself a favor and do a YouTube search for Ringer Office Basketball. You won't be disappointed. No, you will not.
0: Uh, finally, for me, uh, one of our listeners, bethel um, Andrea Kanani, wishes that we would talk more about soccer. Uh, I suspect we'll do more in that area in our third quarter as we do turn to the international experience of sports, and by the way, last month in class we did read a chapter from Franklin Fowler's book, How Soccer Explains the World. But for now, let me recommend a new Netflix series called The English Game. Written and produced by the creator of Downton Abbey, it tells the story of Britain's football association in the late 1870s and early 1880s, when the upper-class amateurs who had codified the rules for soccer were increasingly challenged by working-class stars like Fergus Souter, a former stonemason from Scotland who is generally recognized as the FA's first professional player. The six-part series is not the best example of British TV drama out there, but I do think it's an interesting way of exploring a couple of the themes we've talked about in other sports, namely social class and amateurism, uh, plus Mm -hmm. rules and things like that. So this is great. I'm looking forward to thinking through more of these. And, of course, listeners, you can share your ideas for this or maybe your thoughts about Chris's uh, uh, ranking exercise. Uh, How
1: would they get in touch with us, Chris? You can always get a hold of us at channel3900 at gmail.com. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you, and we'll look forward to responding to some of your comments in future episodes as well.
0: Okay, and of course, students, you can also email us. I don't know if we're holding office hours or not, but email is the best way if you have questions or comments. I mean, uh, what, you want to give me your email address, so I'll give them mine. Oh, sure. It's uh, cgehrzcgarretz at bethel.edu. And mine is
1: c-m-o-o-r-e, c-more at bethel.edu. Yours is going to get a lot fewer misspellings, I think.
0: Okay. Well, that's a wrap for this uh, episode of the 252. Sam, thanks for hosting us. Chris, why don't you take us away? On behalf of my uh,
1: social distancing colleagues here at Bethel University, you've been listening to the 252. Uh, we'll be in touch soon, and go Royals.